What I'm going to be talking on today is is the discipline of worship. And uh, we've been doing various functions within the framework of worship all morning long. And uh, so uh, we'll be talking about various parts of it, but I wanted to do a quick review. You know, we've, we've talked about uh, the discipline of Scripture, understanding that the Scripture is the Word of God that's supposed to be part of our life, that we'll be reading it. Well, that can actually be an act of worship as well, to, to meditate and to read uh, the Word of God. In Psalm 1, it was shared with us uh, about the fact that, that uh, it's something that we would do day and night to meditate on the Word of God. And that it would strengthen us. We'd become like trees planted by streams of water. And so it's a powerful picture of, of drawing close to God. And the idea of worship is an act of drawing close to God. It's also the act of, of, of in a sense, bowing down. And people say, well, we don't, we don't bow down in church. We don't have kneeling rails. We, you know, of course, we don't have pews either. You know. uh, some of you might have gone to church growing up that had uh, a more liturgical uh, atmosphere and, and procedures. And there were kneeling rails uh, that were at the bottom of each pew. And they would, you know, during certain parts of the, the service, we'd, the people would actually kneel. Or there would also be uh, low railings, uh, almost like little fences, uh, along the, 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 the uh, platform and kneeling rails there where people would come forward for prayer. And so some of you know some people say, well, we don't bow down. Well, it's it's the idea of bowing down, and we'll look at this in a minute. Is this idea of worship to bow down and 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 be in awe of God, is not really as as much a physical thing as it is a mental uh, thing. The idea of of we should be in that attitude all the time, the attitude of submission, the attitude of of acknowledging that God is is sovereign over us. However, I would suggest to you that there are times where uh, kneeling and, and, and even laying down on the floor, as some prophets have done, and we see in Scripture, uh, I've, I've been in worship services where, where that has, be, has happened. And, and it, it seemed to be at the point in time that it happened and where it happened to be exactly the right thing to be doing. And so I, I, I tell people that, you know, it's an act of, of giving over to God and, and saying, you are sovereign, you are in charge. And, and this idea of, of you know, reading, sharing, and, and, and being in your Word. And, and prayer is an act of worship. We've talked about prayer. Thinking about even evangelism is the, the act of sharing God with someone else uh, is, is a sense of, of an act of worship. Community coming together as we're doing even this morning uh, and fellowshipping together, worshiping together, repentance, you know, the idea of coming before God and asking for His forgiveness, creating me a clean heart is all part of worship. So we'll be looking at that hopefully in a way of, of pulling it together this morning uh, because it's such a broad subject, uh, any one of these disciplines, you could, you, you could well, you, you go to any uh, uh, 
Christian bookstore or a Christian somebody that has a Christian library in the sense of a lot of Christian books and find books, sometimes even multiple books, on any one of these disciplines. So as we're preaching on them, what we're trying to do is to give you an introduction to something that you're going to follow through on and expand on and, and go further in. In fact, we have a book uh, that's out in the, in the um, uh, shelf out here on, on the disciplines, and it's an excellent study. And so uh, if you're interested in, in carrying this further on your own, it would be an excellent read. And uh, it goes over all the things that we've been going over in a little bit more detail and in some ways more specific ways that you can put it into practice. Now, as I was putting this together, uh, I, I have to say I got sidetracked. Now, that doesn't probably surprise any of you. And uh, the, I, 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 I blame R.C. Sproul for it. Uh, because uh, he he started off a an article on uh, and it happened to be some things about worship, but he was talking about the five W's and the one H. You know, uh, what he was just talking about the five W's. I don't know how many of you in teaching are are familiar with the concept of the five W. Who who what when where why how or when and then add how to it. And it immediately took me back to uh, Journalism 101. Uh, the teacher was Ed Zucchelli, who was a professional uh, newspaper uh, journalist and, and magazine article writer and stuff, who happened to be the teacher at Cal Poly that I was taking journalism from. And uh, that was the automatic thing. You had a, a, Everything was, you know, who, what, when, why, where, when, oh, I can't even say I'm all right. And then the how, you know, to it. And if he couldn't find each of those in, in your, your work, you know, there was a deduction. And, and uh, the other thing that was, was anytime you were writing an article for a newspaper that had to do with people's names, if you misspelled anybody's name, he gave you an automatic rewrite. Uh, so, uh, you know, all these flashbacks came to me, but... Who, what, why, when, where, and then how. And the focus for me today is going to be on who, why, and how. Okay? Uh, the, and so you'll see how that comes together as we, as we go through this. Who is it that, that is you know, involved in worship? When we say worship, who, what's the who? Or who's the who? And the first one, obviously, is God. We're coming to worship God. And I'm going to be very specific in this. We're coming to worship the triune God. And the reason I say that is that was interesting. I was, you know, you can go on to the internet and it is so unbelievable today how many different things you can type in so much stuff. And, and I mean, lots of information in, 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 in the, the square that, or the, the line that you're looking for. And it brings up all these different things. And there was one person, one thing that was talking about worship. And by the time you were done, you realized that they were non-Trinitarian, meaning that they 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 didn't believe in the Trinity, and they were uh, they believed only in worship on the Sabbath, Saturday. 
And uh, it, it was kind of interesting as you get through it. So you've got to be careful what you look for and find on the Internet. But anyway, you know, the, the, the God, it's the triune God. And that's the reason why I make sure we mention it, because I, here was an article, and it, it sounded perfectly well until you got to a part of it where you realized they're missing something here. We worship God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. We are Trinitarians. And so, uh, I emphasize that. We come to worship God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in general, uh, we, you know, we, we come and, and, uh, uh, well, let's look at a passage. It's in, in Psalm 90, uh, 95. Just a short passage, verses 6 and 7. Psalmist writes, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, uh, our, the Lord, our Maker. For He is our God and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. And some of you will, will think of that as, if you, if you weren't familiar with the psalm, you might have been familiar with the, 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 the uh, praise song using those words. And and uh, amount of a lot of scripture, especially in the 60s and 70s, uh, put to to music, and this was uh, one of the psalms. So here we have, uh, you know, the, that we are here to uh, worship the Lord, our God. Uh, we've come to worship and bow down. He is our Maker. He is our God. And we are the people of His. Pasture, which means it's kind of like Psalm 23. We come, he provides for us. He's a shepherd over us. And we're the sheep of His hand. And so there's a, a second part that is in this act of worship. There's the Lord, our Maker, our God. But then there's also the, the people of His pasture. The sheep of His hand. So there's the who in the sense of who we worship. And then the who in sense of who is worshiping. And I want to make sure that you get that picture that uh, it's the order that we've come through in our disciplines, Scripture, prayer, evangelism, community, repentance. You know, those things need to be in place in order for worship to happen. If there's no repentance, uh, if there's no broken heart over sin, if there isn't the act of, of coming with as a believer in Christ broken over your sin your worship isn't going to be the kind of worship that connects with the throne of God. So we are the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand. Uh, we're His people, His children, His church. Uh, and we've come, well, and we've said in saying uh, both and said today, we've come to worship Him as our God, as our Savior, as our Lord, as the one who works within us, the Holy Spirit that works in us to open our eyes and to understand His Word. So who are we coming to worship? We're coming to worship the one true God. We are the people, the church, His children. The next question might be as to why do we come to worship? 
Well, again, looking at just the Scriptures that we've shared today from uh, Psalm 95 and, and Psalm 96, the, the reading, uh, He is a great God. He is a, uh, he is a great King. Uh, from the depths of the earth to the mountains, the sea, the land, uh, He's the one that made them. He is the, the author of, of salvation. He has done marvelous works. He made the heavens. He's established the world, which in a sense takes us right back to Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God you know, created. He, he spoke. And everything begins. He is sovereign over all things. He created us. As a result, you say, well, why did He create us? What's the, what is man's chief purpose? And the Westminster uh, Confessional, the short catechism, is, it says, what is man's chief purpose? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I was waiting for somebody to say it. Enjoy Him forever. So our worship is founded in our relationship with Him through our salvation, but it's eternal. It is and will be forever. So what we are establishing and doing now is the beginning of what we will be doing forever. He created us with the purpose of glorifying Him and enjoying Him forever. He saved us. Psalm 95 says that salvation is from Him. He saved us. And so we need to ask the question, uh, why was salvation needed? What have we been saved from? Last week, great sermon in repentance. And just sufficient for today is, is, is we'll just you know very quickly... Look at and, and I know I use it frequently, but it's the best resource I have is the Roman road. You know why have we been saved? Well, it's because we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. That's it. In other words, if we have sinned and we all have, what do we deserve? As a result, what are the wages? Death. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows His love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So while we were still sinners, before we ever made a confession, He died for us. And, and He did so in a plan of salvation that was put together before the foundation of the world. And so we go back to the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Resulting that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And so the idea is, what are we saved from? Uh, why do we need salvation? Because we have sinned. What are we saved from? The wages of our sin. Death. 
separation from God, not only here, but eternally. How did that happen? Well, it happened through Jesus Christ. We'll look at that a little closer in a moment. This relationship with God must be in place in order for worship to happen. There are people who worship all over the world with sincerity. And, you know, some people will put they worship with sincerity and they're sincerely wrong. Uh, It's a sad thing to think of. But when you come in a personal relationship with Christ, you've confessed with your mouth, you believe in your heart, He is the Son of God. The door is open to approach the throne of God and He receives us through the blood of Christ as if we've never sinned and brings us into His presence and we are allowed to worship. By the way, if we're in His presence and we're allowed to worship, uh, how often can we worship Him? All the time. I had a a teacher of Bible college that said that that Jesus did not die on the cross that we might take a peek now and then in the Holy of Holies, but that we might dwell there. Worship is not something that happens occasionally. It's something to be a way of life. Just as we talked about prayer without ceasing, worship is a parallel to that. We could be worshiping God in the sense of ministering to other people. As, and, and uh, well, you and I were talking about that last night uh, at, at the, the dinner about ministering to other people. How many people have ministered to you? And, and, and that's an act of worship. And the desire it creates in your heart to, to continue the process and, and pass it on, if you will, and, and worship God in the, in the ministry of helping other people. To glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So I wrote down here, worship happens when repentant sinners want to achieve God's purpose. Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. How do we worship Him then? Well, in a general sort of way, uh, you know, I could, I could go to uh, Colossians uh, chapter 3. Uh, Verse 16, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Sounds like what we've been doing all, all, all morning so far. So there's a general format for worship as we come together. But there's also the picture of worshiping all by yourself. Again, go back to Psalm 1 that we looked at uh, earlier in our in our series, where it says that uh, you know, blessed is the man who doesn't uh, stand in the path of sinners nor walk in the way of of, of of sinners, but and he, and he doesn't sit with those who mock God, but but his re, uh, way is to meditate on the Word of God day and night. Okay, that's a, that's a personal thing. He's not at church 24-7. It's day and night. 
So something about the Word of God, it comes back to the Scripture. And we've even talked about memorizing Scripture and, 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 and how important that can be. The idea is, is that, that, that worship is something that we become, something that we do like prayer without ceasing. Jesus was very specific in one, one place in reference to, to worship. Uh, and, and He was one of those situations where you, you, you're surprised at who He's talking to. He's not talking to uh, a, a Pharisee or a scribe or a rabbi. Uh, he's talking to a Samaritan woman. And they're, and they're talking about worship. And... and uh, Verse 24 of chapter 4 of the Gospel of John, it says, uh, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, let me read up to put that into context. Start with verse 16 in John chapter 4. It says, Jesus said to her, the Samaritan woman who he met sitting, uh, he was sitting by a well, and, and she was getting, coming to get water. And Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. And, and the woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers, and she's kind, kind of trying to change the, the subject really quick here, you know. Uh, you know, it's, that's private. And he knew exactly what was going on in her heart. You know, so she says, "Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where God, we ought to worship." Jesus said to her, "Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither this mountain nor in Jerusalem will be will you worship the Father. You will worship what <clears throat> what you do not know. You, uh, we worship what we know." Uh, he, he said. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. And then He says it again. God is spirit and those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the, that Messiah... I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Jesus said that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. Now, I'm not going to give a, a, a detailed commentary kind of approach to, to looking at this, but just a brief picture of it. We come together to worship in spirit and truth. The idea of, of oh, by the way, it's interesting. Side note, uh, I, I don't know how familiar you are familiar uh, are familiar with uh, A. W. Pink and his works, uh, but he wrote he's got a rather thick volume on the on the Gospel of, of John, and, and but he says that there are three musts in the book of John. In other words, where it says you must do something. One of them is in, in chapter 3, verse 7, where it says, you must be born again. And in the same chapter, chapter 3 of John, in, in verse 14, it says, 
the Son of Man must be lifted up. The picture of Him being put up on the cross and drawing all men unto Him. The Son of Man must be lifted up. And the third one is here. We must worship in spirit and in truth. And He says it twice basically here. I think it's important enough that we would look at it this morning as we're going through this. To worship in spirit, uh, I read an article written by Stephen Cole, who's a pastor in in Arizona, and he said, uh, to worship in spirit is to worship from the heart, from within. And I was thinking, Psalm 51 is a starting point. We talked in detail, we read it last week, uh, and and talked about it. Psalm 51, coming with a broken heart. Personal confession of sin. That's not something, you know, we don't just, we corporately, you know, in a corporate way, turn around and say, oh, we've sinned and, and okay, here we are, God forgive us. It's a very personal interaction through the Holy Spirit in you of a person confessing before God. He's coming, you know, from within. It's, you know, to worship in spirit is to come from within uh, your your heart. And and he writes this: I believe that worship in spirit is in part emotional or felt. That is not to say that we should pump up our emotions with music or crowd fervor. Genuine emotions for from for God stem from focusing our minds on the truth of who He is and what He has done for us on the cross. But if your worship never touches your emotions, something is wrong. It's like my love for my wife. My relationship with her is not built on my feelings, but rather on my commitment to her. But when I think about all that she means to me, I feel love for her. And I ought to express that love in some outward manner that shows her that I love her. Catch kind of what he's saying is the idea of coming to worship from within is to express yourself uh, with your feelings and your inner feelings and, and to be in awe of who God is and thankful for what He's done. And the idea of truth is, is uh, in a sense, uh, comes down to kind of a very specific passage for me. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, He is the truth. He came into the world. He is the Word. He became flesh. He came to dwell among us. He came, according to John 1.18, to reveal who the Father is to us. He is the source of our truth. So we come in, 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 in our most inner feelings and in broken heart over sin in awe and wonder about what God has done to us to interact with, with, uh, with what Christ has done for us in, in truth. And the truth is His Word. We, it's not the truth that's something that I come up with. It comes from His Word. And so, His Word becomes a part of my worship. As I look through His Word, I might, I might feel a sense of, of exaltation. And I will take a pause to say thank you, God, and to worship Him for, for something that He has revealed and opened my heart to. So, it can be very spontaneous as I'm reading the Word and, 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 and or meditating on the Word, in a sense, an act of worship. 
There's a very specific picture, though, that I, I wanted to draw your attention to in the sense of, of the truth of God's Word in the, in the sense of acting on this in our, in our worship. In chapter 12 of Hebrews, verse 28, Paul says, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So the beginning of this idea is to come to God with this picture of uh, He is a, uh, an awesome God. He has put us into a kingdom that is, is, is eternal. We are eternally His children. Our worship will go on forever, as we've already talked about. And so we come to worship Him. And it says acceptable worship. And I was thinking, there's another verse that talks about acceptable worship. Let me read it to you. This one comes from Romans uh, chapter 12. I appeal to you, verse 1 of chapter 12 of Romans, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing uh, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And the idea of becoming, in a sense, fulfilling His purpose in our lives and, and worshiping Him uh, for who He is. This idea of, of offering. We're to bring an offering with our worship. We are to bring ourselves as a sacrifice in our worship. A living sacrifice. Again, I see David doing that many different times in the Psalms. Revealing his heart. Sometimes saying, God, I don't understand. And, and asking for wisdom and insight. Other times, coming, as we've said before, with a broken heart. Other times, coming with an absolute heart of joy and expressing His worship in various ways. He talks about worshiping God in the last Psalms of, 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 uh, of the Psalms. Worshiping God with cymbals and trumpets and, and shouting and hallelujahs and, and, and praises. And even dancing. And there is a time in a place, and it's not always going to be, you know, some people are going to say, how do I know when and where? I can't really answer the question for you other than I believe that if God is speaking to you, you'll know. And I have been in a place where it has been done, and, and it seemed like the right point and the right place and the right time to do it. Huh, Phil? <laughs> Phil knows what I'm talking about. And, 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 uh, you know, there's, there's they, this the, David, as he was worshiping God and dancing as they were bringing, there was a number of people that, that were, were rolling their eyes and kind of taking a look and saying, this is not dignified, including his wife. 
But David was, it was an act of worship, and God, I believe God received it as an act of worship. What I'm saying is, is, that, is, is that worship is, is, I think, bigger than, than what we can conceive. And at different places, at different points, and at different times, it takes different forms. That's how, kind of why I've avoided the, the, the how in the sense of, of specifics taking forms. There's only the liturgical way to do it this way. And if you don't do it this way, you're out of bounds. So who are we worshiping? We're worshiping the triune God. God of all creation. Sovereign God. We worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. We are His people. We are His children. We are His church. He's invited us into the Holy of Holies to dwell there with Him. To be in awe of who He is. To come with a confidence for His mercy and His grace. We worship Him because He is the Creator, the Sovereign God who created all things and He has saved us to enjoy Him forever. How do we worship? We worship in spirit and in truth. We come bringing ourselves in the sense of broken over our sins but in awe of who He is and what emotions and feelings that might bring out at that point in time. And sometimes it will be tears and sometimes it will be great joy. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to be at different places at different times and see amazing things happen. And the, and the neat time thing is, it in, it is when they weren't scheduled. It wasn't part of the organized plan for the day. And to see the work of God and His amazing love for us. He tells us to come offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. That's our act of worship. And He says, that's what's first and foremost acceptable to Him. You want to know, people say, you know, what, what, what's acceptable? What can I do? Offer yourself. One of the ways we share in, in worship, and we'll spend more time looking at this as and, and, and as a discipline in the sense of, of, of fellowship with God, but, but, but also in communion. It's an active part of our worship. We uh, read in, in Scripture that the believers met together on the first day of the week and broke bread together. Uh, I am one who believes that's a picture of, of, of breaking bread, I having communion together. First day of the week happened to be Sunday. And people say, did that, did that mean that the day of worship changes from Saturday to Sunday? Actually, the day of worship is every day. We no longer rest in a particular day. We rest in Christ. Go to chapter 4 of Hebrews and it will talk about the Sabbath rest. 
resting in Christ for our salvation. Every day is a Sabbath rest. Why do we worship on Sunday specifically? It's, uh, tradition tells us it's to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What better way to celebrate the resurrection than to enter into sharing in communion, which is the, the, the picture that Jesus gave us to picture His death, His, his burial, his, and His resurrection. Somebody says, well, how do we see His resurrection? He says, do this until He what? Comes again. So today in, in, in corporate worship, we have prayed together. We have sung psalms and hymns together. We've read the psalms together. We've entered into the Word together and, and, and encouraged, hopefully been encouraged by it. And now we share in communion. How do we come to communion? Each of us individually now. This is something we're doing together, but individually we're coming as offering ourselves as a living sacrifice to say, Lord, I surrender to You. You are my God. You are my Sovereign. You are the author of my salvation. You have saved me. I no longer rest under the judgment of my sins, the wrath of God that comes at the end of the times that Revelation speaks about. But I rest under Your grace with the reality that You have finished the work completely on the cross. And that I am saved. I am out from underneath the wrath of God. The wages of sin have been paid by You, Lord. And we worship Him in awe and wonder that the God of all creation has saved us. Isn't that an amazing thing? It should amaze us every day. I, I, I think I've shared with you before and, and, and it was the... the Going on a, and a mission trip with a with a gentleman, uh, and we were put in the same room together because we were old and used CPAPs, and we didn't they didn't want us to bother anybody else, so they we, they put us and we had to have electricity, which a lot of the homes that we were in in Mexico didn't have, so uh, we had to have you know, and so and he would wake up every morning, and the first thing out of his morning was thank you God. For today, and he, I mean, he began his day with an act of worship. And I thought, I've been I've been schooled to wake up every morning and to realize I'm a child of God. I'm saved. How, you know, what an awesome thing! So we come to communion today because God has saved us. We share it together. But we also come individually. So I'd ask the ushers to come and to pass out the, the uh, emblems. Hold them until we've all been served and we'll share together.